Hello and welcome to Counterthought, a podcast dedicated to my counterthoughts about mainstream media, politics, and culture, and the impact on our nation. I am your host, Brian Fletter. You can follow this podcast on its Facebook page, Counterthought Podcast, on Instagram at counter underscore thought, and on Twitter at counter underscore podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of Counterthought, Political Narratives. Thank you for listening to another episode of my podcast. I'm excited that this is episode number 10. Uh, 10 straight weeks I've been creating content for you to consume and hopefully you are enjoying it. I've received a lot of positive feedback and then also some um, constructive criticism as well, which is appreciative. I'm also learning as I create content. So either way, thank you for tuning in. This episode, as I just mentioned, is about political narratives. As I said from the start of this podcast that I'm going to be looking at mainstream media, politics, and culture and the effects on our nation. So I'm not going to dive into other narratives. I'm going to keep it to political narratives. Now, before I begin, I want to clear our minds. Just just clear them with me here for a second with this quote. This quote is from C.S. Lewis, and I think this is going to offer some great perspective for the topic we are about to get into. What you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. Let that sink in. What you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. Now, what is a narrative? So a narrative, you may first think of a story, right? Well, that is what a narrative is, even in uh, the political context. So a narrative is a story that connects and explains a carefully selected set of supposedly true events, experiences, or the like, intended to support a particular viewpoint or thesis. Now, there is also something called a meta-narrative, so going up, larger, meta. A meta-narrative is the stories, plural, narrative was just singular, story, meta-narrative, plural, stories, the stories that groups tell themselves about who they are and where they're headed, such as the meta-narrative for being an American. The meta-narrative for being a Democrat, a Republican, an Independent, a Socialist, a Communist, a Marxist. The meta-narrative for being a Feminist. The meta-narrative for being Hispanic, Black, Asian, White. The list goes on and on. So looking at those definitions, a narrative can be based on facts, or it can be littered with lies. Or you can create a narrative completely out of thin air, out of nothing that actually happened. No truth, no mixture of lies and truth, just completely out of thin air. Whatever story you want to create. Now, narratives in a lot of cases are structured to fit within the meta-narrative because they appeal to a larger group of individuals that is being represented. So, since we're on politics here, if you are a... Republican or a conservative, you would be drawn to narratives about the Second Amendment, free speech, balancing 
the national budget, reducing the national debt. So narratives in a lot of cases are structured to fit within the meta narrative of the group of people they are appealing to or representing. Now let's get into a few different narrative examples. So these couple here I call the pro-American narratives. You have first the American dream, right? We've all heard of the American dream. America is the land of opportunity where everyone has the opportunity to achieve their version of success. Not guaranteed the same level of success, but you as a free individual get to determine what you want your level of success to be and what you consider to be successful. There's also the pro-American narrative of get good grades, go to a good school, get a good job, then get married and have kids. Now with this current generation, Gen Z and also Gen Y, also known as millennials, that may be fading a bit. You could argue that it has faded or disappeared, but at least when my parents were growing up, and their parents were growing up, my grandparents, that's what you were told. Get good grades so you can go to a good school to get a good job, get married, and have kids. Now some political narrative examples. I got a few of them. This is not an exhaustive list, uh, but it is eh, a good handful, a good chunk. In politics, you have narratives that are consistent regardless of which party is in the White House. And then you also have partisan narratives, which vary by the day and the week, but they remain under that umbrella of the meta-narrative for that political party. So a couple examples of what I consider nonpartisan narratives. The economic narrative, touted by the President of the United States and his administration. And it goes something like this. If the economy is going great under the president, it's all because of the president and his administration, right? They are responsible for the success. If the economy is going bad, like in a jobs report or a quarterly report, you know, unemployment, something like that, the narrative is spun back to the previous administration. And the talking point is, oh, well, when we took over, we inherited a a down economy or a down whatever, a gap in this area within the economy. But be assured, under my leadership, we are going to turn this economy around and going up and to the right, the economic narrative. If it's good, it's because of me. If it's not, it's the other guy. Second nonpartisan example I consider to be the unified country narrative. And you hear this a lot during the presidential election cycles, right? Especially in debates, whenever you get down to the nominees from each party, you get the unified country. I will be a president for every American. This is our chance to unite, set aside our differences. You've heard these things. We are all Americans, the president for everyone. We can bring the country together. Trust me. And then you get into the partisan narratives. And this is where they vary day to day, like I said, week to week, but again, falls under, for the most part, the meta-narrative of the party that they represent. So here's a list. It's not exhaustive. This list comes from narratives that I have 
just picked from the last 12 to 18 months. And let's see how many you've heard before. You have, there's a crisis at the southern border. The number of immigrants crossing over our southern border is the most that there has ever been in the last 40 years. Another example is climate change. Climate change is an existential threat to the world. If we don't correct the emissions and bring us down to net zero carbon emissions within the next eight years, there is no reversing it, and the world will be over as we know it. Then there is Blue Lives Matter, right? The police. Support the police. Blue Lives Matter. Then there is also Black Lives Matter, which got hijacked by BLM, which I may get into in another episode, but Black Lives Matter. Then there is the All Lives Matter. Some people don't want to hear that. They think that's dismissing the Black Lives Matter, but there was the narrative for a time last summer, All Lives Matter. Then one from earlier this year, you have January 6th was the worst attack on our democracy in our lifetime. Republicans or white supremacists tried to overthrow our democracy on January 6th with the Capitol riots, and it was incited by President Donald J. Trump. That narrative, January 6th, is still being tossed around today, six months later. Then you have another narrative. America is systemically racist, and we need to correct those systems, tear them down and build them up again to get rid of the systemic racism. Our children are being indoctrinated by critical race theory in our public schools. This one's the hot one of the day, of the week, past couple weeks, and now you see more and more parents speaking out at their local school board meetings to combat critical race theory. But the narrative is that critical race theory is indoctrinating children as young as five years old. And then the counter narrative to the indoctrination for critical race theory is what is being taught in critical race theory is the real truth about the founding of America. We're just teaching historical facts. There is no indoctrination here. As Randy Weingarten, the, the leader of the AFT, I believe American Federation of Teachers, the second largest teachers union, said Thursday, July 8th, that that is what they're doing. They're teaching history, and it is not radical. And any attempt by these states, state governments, to silence the teachers from teaching critical race theory is in itself being radical. So we'll see how this narrative continues to evolve for both parties. Because Weingarten also pinned it on Dr. Jill Biden during her speech that she made to her, to her union in the last day or so. Then another partisan narrative you have is we need stricter federal gun laws to stop mass shootings. Guns are the problem, not the people. Guns are the problem, the tool, not the person. If we just had less guns or different style weapons, we would not have these mass shootings. There is a crime wave across the U.S., especially violent crime. Violent crime is up across numerous metropolitan cities nationwide. Then there is also the fight against COVID-19 isn't over. There are variants, the Delta variant, the Lambda variant. We need to remain vigilant and get everyone, as many people as we need, men, women, children, vaccinated. The fight against COVID isn't over then the counter is the fight against COVID is over. Student loan cancellation benefits the wealthy more than any other income bracket. And the counter, 
Student loan cancellation would provide the biggest boost to the economy today and for the near future to help stop the growth of the generational wealth gap and also the class wealth gap. Now, I think if you have spent any more than just 15 minutes following the national news over the last 18 months, that you have most likely heard every single one of those narratives that I just rattled off, and even more than that. And depending on where you are standing and the person you are, you agree with probably half of those narratives. You agree with probably half of those narratives. But should you? I just listed those narratives, but I didn't say which of them or how many of them were true. Do you know which ones are true? Are the ones that you believe in, that you agree with, are they true? Now that list, like I said, was from the last 12 to 18 months, and it was not an exhaustive list. That would be a mile long. And if I tried to go back over the each narrative from the last four years or eight years, that list would stretch across the whole United States. It would be crazy. Keeping track of these narratives as you go about your daily life becomes a full-time job. And there are only 24 hours in a day, as we know, so it is a lot of work to keep up with everything that's going on in the national news. These narratives go on for a couple days, a couple weeks. Maybe they stretch longer and go on for months, or maybe the entire length of a year or the current administration, depending on what the topic is, the subject matter. But trying to keep up with it all is a full-time job. What I used to do whenever I was not working, I would put my attention, like my free time, towards sports, following sports, watching sports, following a TV show, you know, recording it and then watching it later on my DVR or getting onto Hulu, Netflix, and, you know, just binging the series. But as I mentioned in episode one, when I was giving the reason why I started this podcast, my free time now is scrolling through the national political news which I had never done before until four years ago in 2016. And it is a lot. I mean, not only are there a lot of narratives, but then you have the number of media outlets to consume that information. And each one can provide a little bit of more information than the other. So determining who you can trust or what outlet, which outlets you can trust is a job in and of itself. And then once you figure that out, then you can go and at that present time and into the future, figure out what you believe about the narratives that are being put out there by the news media. So what does a narrative accomplish? It has to have a purpose, right? I mean, if so much of the news is pushing a narrative, what's the reason? Now, narratives respond to news, right? So the more news reports you have, the more narratives there are. That's my belief. And narratives are used to promote the truth with a straight telling of the facts. That's one way. Or it could be mostly facts with a little bit of embellishment, a little bit of a storyteller aspect to it. But there are also narratives that are used to do the opposite, to spin away from the truth, to save face, and to distract. Like the definition of narrative said, it is a story to support a viewpoint, and the events of the story don't even have to be true. So you can work a narrative to accomplish whatever it is that you or your group needs. Narratives are also used to combat the truth, to promote an opposing view, to achieve a motive against an opponent, maybe to exploit a weakness of your opponents. And we see this across industries, not just in politics. Wherever there is competition, you'll find narratives that are used to beat the competition, right? That's the, 
That is the definition of competition, right? You want to win. I mean, within what, the last year, maybe year and a half, kind of lost track of time going through 2020. But look at the chicken sandwich battle. I think it started off with one or two, maybe three restaurants. And now four, five, and six restaurants have joined in. And then from the early aughts, the early 2000s, you have those Apple commercials that took a hit at Microsoft. The guy playing Bill Gates, right? Frumpy little guy promoting Apple to take down Microsoft. Microsoft computers may, there may be more of those still in the world, probably because of their school contracts and corporate contracts and things like that. But I would say Apple made a huge dent in that market share. I mean, it works. Narratives work. Targeted narratives work. And as I said in episode two of my podcast, titled Intellectual Dishonesty, as I said then, dishonesty is used to protect interests. And dishonesty dishonesty is used to manipulate, to gain, or maintain power. But what is there to gain? Unfortunately, I believe there is everything to gain. It's said that politics is upstream from culture, meaning that what you see going on in politics was once or currently is happening in our culture. Culture drives the change or attempt to change. Since politics is where laws are made, whichever party has the executive and legislative power, they will advance their agenda as much as possible with executive orders and bills in order to legitimize the culture, especially whenever the White House and Congress all have the same political majority. When that happens, you see as many laws and bills and executive orders signed and tried to be passed as possible during that window of time. And that window typically lasts only two years. There's a recent trend where if you have the majority in all three, the House of Representatives, the Senate, and the White House presidency, that by the midterms, there is a political swing, and then that majority will switch back away from the party in power at the White House, the executive branch, and then you'll have it split. And you're seeing that happen right now. The things that are trying to be pushed through the House and the Senate now are because there's majority for the Democrat Party in all three. But as you're starting to see pushback and people waking up to what is going on with certain um, certain ideologies and other things, the line of thinking, at least on the Republican side, is that there's going to be a major swing in 2022, the midterm elections, and that the Republicans are going to take over the House and the Senate. And Biden will be left there as like a lame duck president. So why dedicate an entire episode to political narratives? I decided to dedicate an entire episode to narratives because of what can be accomplished by a narrative, which I touched on a little bit earlier. A narrative, like I said, can be truthful or untruthful. A narrative can be used to distract and gain power. And narratives are used to shape your mind about individual stories and issues. And as I've said before, you need to be able to think independently. No more groupthink. It's too serious of a time. Be aware of what is going on around you locally and nationally. As I said, you are seeing localities' parents speak up in opposition to critical race theory. Some people theorize that the reason why there is this awakening is because of the lockdown last year in 2020 and parents being more exposed than ever to what was being taught in their children's classrooms. Now they're awake and pushing back. So be aware of what's going on around you locally and nationally. 
Don't simply follow. Be a leader. Ask questions. Research. Yeah, research takes a lot of time, but it's necessary. It is necessary. If you truly value what it is you say you believe in, meta narratives of groups you identify with, then you need to take the time to be aware of what is going on and how those things could affect your group, could affect your beliefs. You need to stand up for what you believe in and don't believe everything you're told, whether it's coming from your side or the other side. Don't be apathetic to the culture and the politics of our country. Because you may be too late to act in opposition of something you disagree with or act in support of something that you agree with, like this pushback on critical race theory or various forms of indoctrination of children, the attempted federalization of voting with House Bill H.R. 1, that thankfully is going nowhere and is probably unconstitutional, but like the CRT stuff, the parents are speaking up, but is it too late? I mean, we'll find out. So don't be apathetic. Your voice could have been heard and could have affected change. There are serious cultural ideologies and political changes being pushed today. And it's time for you, me, us, it's time for us to pay attention. If you value your country, if you value your values, if you value your beliefs, this is necessary. Politics isn't always fun. It's not sexy. It's not something that a lot of people can just sit down and, you know, want to kind of numb out for a while whenever they come home from work, if that's, if that's how you operate. You know, it's, it's not just flipping on a TV show. Granted, there are tons of political commentary and opinion uh, shows out there. There are also news shows, but those are getting fewer and fewer. But it's got a little bit of a different flavor, right? A different feel to it. Sometimes it does feel like work and can make your head spin. But I say it's worth it. It's worth it. And then remember... Like I started off this episode, I'll close it. What you see and what you hear depends a great deal on where you are standing. It also depends on what sort of person you are. All right, that's it for this episode. Remember to subscribe and engage with me on Instagram at counter underscore thought, on Twitter at counter underscore podcast, and on the Counterthought podcast page on Facebook. Thank you for listening to Counterthought.